This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its 6 year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Home Daily for Friday, May 26, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to have a special water cooler. This is Slash Home Editorial Director Peter Serretta. Joining me on today's podcast is Slash Home Senior News Editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Editor-in-Chief Film Critic Chris Evangelista. Oh, hello. <laughs> Editors Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And uh, back for a special appearance, Inverse.com Entertainment Editor, Y-Trend Bowie. Hey, everyone. We got the whole gang back together. Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is, uh, yeah, this is like a blast from the past right here. <laughs> Well, as you can probably tell from the title of this episode, we're here for, you know, it's happy that we're all reuniting, but we're doing so under somewhat sad circumstances because, Peter, you're leaving Slash Film. Yeah, this is my last day with Slash I, I've had Slash Film in my life for the last 18 years. And this is a, it's a tomorrow is going to be a day, it's going to be the first day that Slash Film is not part of my current life, which is, is crazy to me. It's just, um, I don't even know what that's going to be like. So you started the site in 2005, is that right? Yeah, I think it was like August of 2005. And when I started it, it was like, I mean, there was mo- other movie news sites out there. There was like Ain't It Cool and Joe Blow. Uh, but uh, I don't know, it was a very different, it was a very different movie uh, blog or news universe at that point. Yeah, I was looking up things that happened in 2005. The first ever <laughs> YouTube video was uploaded. It was called Meet Me at the um, uh, it was called Me at the Zoo. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> ever seen that one. Sounds like a classic. Um, the word microblogging entered the lexicon for the first time and some movies that came out that year, Sin City, Batman Begins, <laughs> Wedding Crashers, Fantastic 4, Electra, the 40-Year-Old Virgin, and Star Wars Episode Three: Revenge of the Sith. So, Peter, your, your uh, run at Slash Film went from one era of Star Wars all the way through into, I, I arguably, you could say, like, what, two or three more eras of Star Wars or something at the, by this point. I This is making me feel really old. <laughs> 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 but, I don't know, Slash Film itself has had, like, so many eras to it, which is, is, is crazy to me because when I, I started the site... You know, I just I loved movies. I just wanted to write about movies and I wanted to share, you know, every year I would go to Sundance. I used to volunteer at Sundance. I, I wanted to share the smaller movies that people might not 
hear about. I wanted to talk about the big blockbusters that I loved. And uh, 98% of the content on the site was like me posting 12 news articles a day. And um, I don't know, it, it's crazy how big the site has grown over the years and how many, how many different voices, um, how many different outlooks, how many different, um, I don't know. I feel like we've had probably like three eras to slash home, uh, with the current being, uh, this, uh, I'm not sure if people know this, but, um, two years ago I sold the site to a company called static media who owned a bunch of sites. Ben, what other sites does Static Media own? Oh, jeez. Uh, Looper, Looper oh, Mash, Grunge. Uh, Tasting Table is their new big hit. It's actually, it's I feel like the slash film of food, if you're interested in checking out Tasting Table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the thing is, when you do something for this long, you do something for 18 years, uh, it, the, the other thing is, with all the eras uh, of, of slash film, like, you know, I, I got into it to write about movies. I was so excited about movies. And uh, at a certain point, it became, uh, you know, me being a boss, which is not something I got into slash film to do and being, at, and, you know, in charge of everything and doing payroll and doing taxes and d- being in charge of all that stuff. And it, it became less about me talking about movies and more of doing that. So I think uh, even before the pandemic, uh, there was a, uh, you know, started getting to, you know, we launched Ordinary Adventures, which is a theme park YouTube channel or travel and theme park and food YouTube channel that I do with uh, my girlfriend Ketra. And it, it, it kind of um, reinvigorated me because actually even before Slash Film, I wanted to be a filmmaker. I wanted to, you know, make a video, a visual content. And I think, uh, you know, picking up the camera gave me like it scratched that itch a little bit. And um, at that point, I was I was kind of um, thinking about maybe selling the site, and then the pandemic hit, and that was dark days for all of us. Um, <laughs> but like overnight, our ad sales went from, you know, because who advertises on a movie site? Movies. What what comes out during a pandemic? You know, what's not filming during a pandemic? Movies. <laughs> and uh, ad sales like tanked overnight, and like I was. It went from, you know, slash film being a profitable enterprise to me being like, do I have to let people go? Do I have to, you know, we're losing money, like not just like, you know, a drip of it was like, you know, the the water was rushing out of the bathtub, if that makes sense. Um, uh, Thankfully, everything recovered. Everything is great. But, uh, you know, after after that time uh, static approached me and i was like you know what now is maybe the time to leave maybe maybe now is the the time to say goodbye to this and um because i i, I wasn't even really a large part of the editorial voice of the say I, I i think you guys would i mean correct me if i'm wrong but even when i was like you know a uh, large part of the editorial of the site and this might be uh, a testament how bad of a business person I am. Um, <laughs> I kind of let you guys do your thing. I, I, I encouraged you, any voice you had, if you loved a movie, you hated a movie, like never aligned with what, it never had to align with what I thought or what, what even like I thought would be good traffic wise for the site. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, 
what do you what are your guys' memories of of slash film in that era it was definitely a really different time i mean yeah. i started slash film in 2015 uh you know you know you hired me as a news writer and i was working you know directly with you and angie han and when angie left to uh Greener Pasture. She's been to three or four different outlets at this point. She keeps on getting keeps on getting bumped up the rankings. It feels like, um, you know. Uh, apparently, I, I don't know if it was you or Angie who recommended me for her old editor position, but uh, it's just been one of those cases where I've been deeply proud to work for Slash Film, and that's even under you know new ownership you know where there's different people making requests and different priorities and different things being asked of me and a whole lot more work um <laughs> i've ever possibly imagined i'm still very protective of this website i'm very protective of the people who work for it i'm very protective of what it stands for and what it means and you know i feel like you know there have been you know victories and have been defeats but i feel overall that this has been you know my life's calling has been to help steer slash on be what it is and to keep steering it after peter you know moves on i mean if you're if you've been enjoying the site for the past two years you know uh we plan to keep it going how it is and i think we found a really really good balance in terms of trying to satisfy what we need to satisfy to make it a successful site in 2023 but also keeping alive what i loved about the site keeping alive what peter always encouraged us to do which was be passionate and you know love what you love about movies and make sure that's evident you know in every article so that's been my goal and it that goal wouldn't be there if peter had given me the freedom and the you know the the flexibility to make make that our message and make that our goal so yeah i the, the best thing i can say about peter leaving is that the site will keep being good because he instilled in me the confidence and the trust to be able to, you know, keep his vision alive. And I'm going to miss the hell out of you, miss the hell out of you, Peter. <laughs> yeah, Brad, you were you were on board. I think you've known Peter longer than any of us, right? Yeah, because so I I, I started in this business uh, over at FirstShowing.net. You know, I, I worked for Alex Billington for six years, uh, and. Uh, Peter, you know, was really good friends with Alex at the time because Slash Film and First Showing kind of came up together. Um, and Slash, Slash Film, you know, had the had a bigger audience and a bigger draw kind of thing. But uh, Peter and Alex were, were pretty close at the time. And so I, I knew Peter um, pretty early on. He was one of the first, like, major players in, like, the entertainment, you know, journal, um, blogging, you know, industry at the time that I had, I had met. And so like, when I started going to Sundance, me and Alex were hanging out with him and Jermaine and uh, at, we were at Comic-Con together. And, you know, so there's there a lot of that. Uh, and I'm super grateful to Peter because uh, the time came eventually when like, it looked like I might have to get uh, out of this business because the advertising money was uh, a little rough over at first showing. And I was considering getting into uh, teaching high school English. I even did a transition to teaching program and, and everything. Uh, but then I talked to Peter like at the last minute to see if there was anything they had. And they were just then considering creating a weekend editor position. And the timing couldn't have been uh, better for me as far as opportunity is concerned, because just a few months after I had joined in the summer of 2015, uh, there was some shifting around when uh, Russ Fisher left and Angie Han got bumped up and became the managing editor. And then uh, be, me being the weekend editor turned into me also doing a bunch of stuff uh, during the week. 
granted, it mean, meant I was working seven days a week for a long time, <laughs> and I didn't get a proper vacation for the longest time. But I, you know, it 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 didn't. Uh, it, it rarely felt like it was you know difficult work, just because I've loved what I've done for so long, and you know, I love that slash film. And, you know, Peter gave us that freedom to, like, do what we wanted to do, write what we wanted to to write about. And I, I think one thing is I've always appreciated about Slash Film is just the range of, you know, things and how we cover them. You know, we're, we're not just dedicated to blockbusters. We also, you know, champion independent movies. And uh, we focus on TV shows that everybody is talking about that, you know, feel cinematic. And, you know, uh, it's we've just been able to write so many different stories about so many different things. Uh, and I'm very grateful that I was able to stay in this industry and to, you know, stick around through, you know, a couple more eras and be here as it's, you know, the guard has shifted and uh, Jacob has done a, a fantastic job, you know, shifting as, as Peter has taken a step back. And it's just been, it's been a fun ride. HC, do you have any um, memories of your early days at Slash Film? Oh, Peter, how, how do you <laughs> no. feel about uh, feeling even older? <laughs> Uh, so slash film uh, i don't want to say i grew up reading it but uh i was reading it for through at least my college years and to see the application open up on twitter and to actually get the job was kind of a dream come true for me like right out of college and i wouldn't be where i am today without slash film and being able to work with you guys and be part of this cool generation of slash film writers and editors and get to write about whatever I wanted, essentially. Like, I'd just be like, hey, Jacob, can I write about this? And he would essentially say, yeah, sure. <laughs> so I could write a, uh, this, a real uh, thoughtful philosophical essay about a Haruki Murakami adaptation, or I could write about this dumb uh, Fast and Furious knockoff on, in Bollywood, or I could write about how great uh, Dick Grayson's ass is or something. it happened it happened and you know i yeah there isn't that kind of freedom on in any site anymore i'm not gonna you know give away trade secrets or anything but (laughs) the ease of wit with which i got to write about whatever i wanted and basically be a fangirl and uh write about things i loved uh it's i can't you can't find it anywhere else Slash film was the only place, and is still the only place, I think. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's it feels like right now in this industry when it's also overcrowded and you have to fight for what you want to cover. Um, Slash film was just like a cool clubhouse to hang out. It was a, it was the next evolution of the IMDb forums that I always used to <laughs> troll when I was in high school. It wasn't like working, going to logging in. Clocking in every day to slash film didn't feel like work to me. It felt just like hanging out with some cool movie loving friends. And that's what I really like about slash film. That's what I really miss about it still. Um, and that's what I think will leave, will, Peter will leave in his legacy and that Jacob and everyone here will be trying to maintain even after he's, he's left his position, which he's not dying. He's just like, I'm leaving forever. <laughs> but, <you know. laughs> it's a eulogy of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I love about Slash Film is that, you know, people get to write about what they're passionate about. And also, like, I don't think you see this with many other film sites out there, but the amount of turnover that we've had with the main staff has been so very low. So many people work here for at least five years, which 
if you talk to almost any other site, that's not like what happens. There's, you know, people come and go really quickly. And I like that Slash Home has built up these voices that people come back to to hear about. If that makes sense, I will say what I what, what I am not going to miss, and I think this is what what Brad was mentioning earlier, is you know being at the whim of the Google's alg- algorithm and having to manage that and worry about you know a recession coming or you know sorry to bring this up guys, but the the dawn of this AI writing stuff that's happening now is like I would be pooping my pants if I was <laughs> running it now. Uh, so like, I don't know, all that stuff is scary, but the, what isn't scary is what, uh, I don't know, the the people involved in this site have brought to the table constantly over the years. And uh, I mean, everybody that was on the, all the main people that were on the site when I sold it are now editors of some kind, right? Um, I mean, including HG, she was, and then she, uh, jump ship too. Uh, she's now an inverse. Sorry, but uh, <laughs> it, it's fine. I know. I I also take pride in that. Like almost everybody that's worked for Slash Film has like, if they're not here still, they've gone on to become big people elsewhere. Like and that 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 just I don't know. I'm I'm very proud of like the people that we have that have been part of this. Yeah, that's that's all you're doing, Peter. I feel like you really set the template for that. And um, uh, Chris, I, I want to give you an opportunity to to share anything. Do you have any like early memories of of your uh, like first little stretch at Slash Film, sort of in that that pre acquisition period? I mean, I don't know if I have. I mean, I don't want to make it sound like I have no memories. Like I'm an idiot and I have no memories. But um, <laughs> I, I just I I just want to say, uh, you know. I, I owe a lot to Peter and I'm, I'm so grateful f- to Peter because I, I was working a really shitty office job that I hated. And I had always wanted to make a living at writing. And I was at a point in my life where I was like, I, that's never going to happen. I'm going to have to work lousy office jobs the rest of my life. And I, you know, I was like, like going to hang up the idea of being a writer. Like this is it. I'm not really going to be a writer. And Peter gave me, a chance, man. He gave me uh, like my dream job that I never thought I would get. So I'm getting, I'm getting emotional right now. Uh, so thank you, Peter, for giving me that chance because uh, I never thought I'd have it. So thank you. Yeah, man. I'm, I, I, you're making feel, me cry, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I feel the same way. Like the, you know, being at Slash Film was literally my dream job. Like I remember, I've probably said this before, but I remember like filling out forms on the internet where people would, you know, like security forms and stuff where they'd be like, what's your birthday? What's your favorite website? And like, for as long as I can remember, I would write slash film because I was, it was like a daily part of my life. And then being able to, um, you know, be a part of the team that, that actually puts the site together has just been like an incredible experience. And I'm, I'm so grateful to, to Peter for giving me that shot. Like I had worked for other sites before and was sort of like, you know, uh, an acquaintance with Peter before. So he kind of like knew me from, you know, the scene a little bit, but um, I really feel like he, t- he took a chance on me and, and um, I, I, yeah, I can't possibly uh, explain to you what that means to me, Peter. So thank you so much for that. And like, you've, I mean, you opened the doors of your home to, to let me in and like me and my wife had Thanksgiving with you guys one time. Like, I mean, you've just been like such a great um, a mentor figure to me and, and a friend as well. So um, yeah, thank you so much, Peter. This has been incredible. 
Yeah, I think that's um, one of the things that that's been great too with Peter is, and like and maybe sometimes to to its detriment just because like we we we, <laughs> we, we felt so close is that like uh Peter Peter was our boss but he was also like you know our friend you know Peter Peter definitely became well, I, I was friends with Peter before he became my boss and that friendship you know has has carried on you know I've I've stayed at, at Peter's you know house you know we've we've gone to to theme parks together and just just hung out and you know uh when work wasn't even really involved you know and so. Uh, it was it was always you know great having Peter as as my boss and and friend you know it, it created like this little close knit uh, community you know it's 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 made it so that probably you know working anywhere else will make things difficult whenever that time comes because you know I won't always have a boss that's my friend you know uh, and Jacobs you know <sighs> continued you know to be a great friend and and boss as well so like I feel like I've been spoiled for you know the past eight years and if I ever have to work anywhere else I, I who knows what that's gonna be like it's gonna suck. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> thanks brad <laughs> all right well let's let's get into the water cooler uh part this is probably what you know most listeners want to hear well, actually before point. we even get into that i just want to say that like the last two years i i mean i've been part of the site i've obviously been doing this if you're listening to this podcast i've been very involved in this podcast but uh a lot of what's been going on the site uh jacob has been shepherding and making uh, everything happened uh, at, at static media and it's uh it's not like things are going to change there you know i i was involved I, I was in the slack channel giving suggestions and trying to uh you know uh help the editorial direction but like it, it, I, the the last two years have been under jacob and so if if you've loved Slash Home for the last two years, you have nothing to worry about. Jacob's still at the helm. If you didn't like Slash Home for the last two years, then uh, write your emails to Static Media. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's their fault. It's not Jacob's fault. A very, very kind thing to say. Um, so I'm going to respond to it by opening up the Grand Stream Book of Insult, Defense, and Refunery. <laughs> <laughs> One more time, just for you, Peter. <clears throat> Peter's getting a jacket for his birthday. The straight kind. <laughs> Peter has uh, a clean short figure. Wait, wait, wait. Can you explain that one? Is that a, is, is that a homosexual joke? Like, no, no, no. A, no. Like a um, yeah, mental institution, Peter. Oh, a straight? I was like, I was like is this a really, like... Peter. For your birthday, like, you're going crazy. Straight kind. Uh, well, th- all, the, all these jokes are out of date, so I don't know. I thought maybe this was a homophobic, like, <laughs> well, kind of. Peter, you have a Supreme Court figure. No appeal. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and, and finally, uh, Peter, you have a stri- you have a very striking face. How many times were you struck there? Oh no! Uh, <laughs> get that uh, Supreme Court one. Who says you have a Supreme Court figure? That's, <laughs> that's, the, that's never been a saying, unless it was back in the day of this book. And I, if it is, I'm sorry. No one says any of this except for Jacob. <laughs> oh, I've missed this book. <laughs> uh, that's I that. have a feeling that many times when Jacob reads jokes out of this book, he's the only one in history, other than the author, that's read those jokes out loud. <laughs> <laughs> that might be true. <laughs> I sure hope so. All right, Peter, let's get into it. What have you been doing recently? Oh, uh, what have I been doing? Um, 
yesterday I went on the Universal Studios VIP tour. Universal Studios Hollywood had uh, invited me out, so I did not pay for it. Uh, so no, take that for what it is. Uh, but this is, you know, Universal Studios Hollywood is a is a theme park, but it's also a movie studio. And of course, you can buy tickets, you can buy express passes. But the the top of the that ladder is the VIP tour, which you have your own personal um, VIP guide that takes. Well, not your own. I guess there's a group of people, like say, like ten people, and he'll take them, him or him or her will take. They will take you across the Universal Studios. They'll get you on all the rides without having to wait in any lines. You have your own uh, VIP line that gets you to the the front. Uh, but probably the most interesting thing of all the features is you actually don't go on the regular tram to go around the studio, and you you board this like this private trolley and you go around the studio the the back lot for i want to say two three hours and they will give you the normal studio tour but at points you'll actually stop and get off the bus and be able to explore areas and this time i, I got to finally do it guys i got off at courthouse square uh on the universal back lot the uh where they shot Back to the Future, they shot uh, Gremlins, many movies, many TV shows over the years, and it's been a dream uh, of mine to actually be to walk. Actually, it's funny because when you take the studio tour, uh, when you're at Universal Studios, usually it bypasses that whole area because they're constantly filming uh, things there, be it TV shows, commercials, whatnot. So you usually don't even ever see it. I, I've seen it probably a handful of times and the hundred times I've taken the tour. Uh, but we yesterday actually got to go and, you know, walk around the courthouse square and, uh, learn about it from the, the guide. And I don't know, it was really cool. We're going to have a video on it on ordinary adventures, uh, probably later this week uh but the tour runs i think it starts at like 365 dollars and goes up depending on how busy the day is uh but uh if you're going to go to the park and you're not a local and you don't have an annual pass and you're going to be paying for a ticket and you might even be paying for an express pass it's not that much money to go up from the express pass to the the vip tour so i would think it might be worth it you get you get a lunch like a, this very gourmet lunch you get a continental breakfast you get uh after the vip tour ends you get to you can go to with your badge to any of the rides and go to the express line unlimited so it, it, it was it was a great experience and uh yeah it it was fun anyways i that's that's all that i've been doing jacob what have you been doing uh i uh, I've talked. To, I was on a recent water cooler, so I have, I have nothing super new to add. But I want to bring this up because I know Peter will have something to say, which is with the Star Wars Hotel, the Star Wars Gothic Star Cruise, are officially closing later this year. My sister and my brother-in-law, who went last month and described it as a top five things of their lives experience, they're going to go one more time and have asked me to come. And if the three of us split a room, it becomes a little more cost-effective. So, Peter, I'm going to go do the Star Cruiser before it closes. And I know you're a huge fan, so I just wanted to let you know that <sighs> uh, since you and I will hopefully keep talking about theme park stuff in our own free time. But uh, yeah, I'm going to go. I'm not going to make the mistake of missing it like I did with the Star Trek experience in Las Vegas. So I'm going to go. I hope, I know that you're going to have an amazing time. It's literally the best theme park thing I've ever done. I'm so sad that it's closing. And I'm so sad that uh, many people, most people, you know, Probably only 80,000 people will ever, ever experience this before it closes down, which is is crazy to me. Like, that's probably the biggest 
Disney thing that Disney's ever opened that the least amount of people will have ever experienced in this run. Um, but Jacob, you're gonna you're gonna have a fantastic time. And and honestly, Star Cruiser, you, you mentioned splitting the room. Every single time I've gone, I've split the room. Uh, split the room. Like last time, we we stayed in like one of the suites, and we had eight people crammed in there. But I don't want to convince people it's worth money because it's like if either you can afford it or you can't. But uh, you know, fifteen hundred dollars yeah. is a lot cheaper than six thousand dollars. Not saying it's cheap, but it's it's more doable. If that makes sense, um, but obviously it's not going to be around any longer, so maybe it wasn't doable for most people, and I, I totally understand that, and I, I, I'm I'm sad that it's going away. Hey, maybe somebody yeah. from Disney Parks wants to send the whole Slash Film crew to the Galactic <laughs> Star Cruiser for for one last hurrah. <laughs> now we're talking, bro. Plus me. Yes, <laughs> yes, of course, HD, of course. I want to be the responsible one. I my my family made this offer to me. It's like, hey, do you want to come to a room? I said to my wife, I, we can't justify this. That's still expensive. My wife looked me in the eye and said, Jacob, you regret for the rest of your life. You don't do this. We're doing it. So she's sending me off to, to role play Star Wars for two days uh, later this year. So, Jacob, before you go, please give me a call or text me. I'll have a lot of suggestions and uh, tips and tricks and stuff. For yes, you. absolutely. Okay, uh, Brad, what have you been up to? Uh, so tell me if this has ever happened to you guys. Uh, this is something that happens to me every so often and it, it, it drives me crazy for a small amount of time. Uh, and this is the first time I've ever like remembered it at a convenient time to actually talk about it. But, uh, every now and then I will have some kind of like visual in my mind that suddenly pops in or like a line reading from a movie and I can hear the exact intonation of the line or I can see the exact framing of the shot and like what's happening in it. And then it takes me forever to place what that moment is from. And it's always some insignificant tiny thing that I only remember because I've seen a movie a bunch of times, like more times than I probably should. And it's just a silly thing that, that isn't even like a memorable moment. It's just something that somehow pops in my head. And I'm like, Oh my God, what is that from? And yesterday it happened to me. It it was the, this is the silliest thing. I had a, a visual in my head of a character in the middle of some kind of hustle and bustle scene. There's a lot of characters in the background doing it. I, I knew that it was like a newspaper office or a police station. And this, this character who was like a, a nondescript supporting actor, like acknowledges a more important character in the room by holding up like a file folder and like, like waving it at them and then like setting it down. It's, it was a, such a quick thing. And like I, I was racking my brain. It, it was driving me crazy on and off for like two hours to the point where I couldn't even, take a nap it felt like in like a, a weird obsessive compulsive kind of thing and then i finally honed in on police station stuff it made me think of the dark knight i recognized uh a a supporting actor's face and i was like yeah that's that's the guy and the scene in question if you want to follow this thread that i recounted on twitter it's something that you might not even remember but it's from the dark knight it's the scene where rachel's on the phone talking to harvey dent and he's asking her if there's anybody in the, you know, the, the city that she can trust because, you know, people in Gordon's unit can't be trusted anymore. And it's just uh, one quick shot where she looks around the room and she sees the, this actor, Keith uh, Zarabajka, who plays a character named Stevens. He's like a detective. And he just acknowledges by holding up a folder. And like, that's it. And I, once I finally figured it out, I was like, oh my God, like I felt such relief. If you want to see like the clip in question, because you don't remember what I'm talking about, it's it's on a Twitter thread that I posted earlier today. Uh, but yeah, so th- do you guys ever get like moments like that where you get something stuck in your head that you can't remember where it's from? 
Brad, are you just describing getting old? I feel like this happens to me on a weekly basis. Like last <laughs> earlier in the week, I had a mental fart where I was like, "Wait, what is Dwayne Johnson's character's name in Moana?" And it like took me like twenty minutes to figure it out. I was like, "I'm not going to look it up on uh, online. I'm not going to pull up my phone." You know, like, it, what do you guys think? It, is is this just getting old, or is this something just everybody experiences? I mean, I experience this kind of thing all the time, but just not to the degree, the the um, super tiny specific degree that, that Brad does. Like, I saw that clip, Brad, that you posted, and I was like, oh, my God, yeah. like how, that's so insignificant. Like, how, why would it ever even remain lodged in your brain at all? Um, but, yeah, certain line reads and, and things like that will sometimes stick in my head, like – there was, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of an example and I can't come up with one off the top of my head, but, um, but yeah, the things like that happen to me. It's mostly, mostly it's, it's line reads instead of like uh character behavior or something. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was weird and frustrating, but anyway, besides that, um, I've also been building a lot more Lego sets recently. And I mentioned some of these on the podcast a little while ago, cause I reviewed them and there, I do have a cool review of one coming up that I've been building. That's taking some time because it's a big one. And it's the the Batman Returns Batcave uh, Shadow Box set that was recently announced. I've been building this thing, and it's it's a huge set uh, with like thirty uh, bags of Legos inside of it. It has four booklets to to build it out. Um, but it's a really cool like feat of engineering so far. The way like it folds in on itself, but like still has so many cool details of the Batcave and stuff like that. So uh, I'll, I'll have a much closer look at that on Slash Room here in the near future. But then like aside from the ones that I've been reviewing, I also uh, there's a, a line of Lego cars called Speed Champions, um, and there's like some kind of digital component to them where like you can have like a like a, a game I think that uses these Lego cars. Uh, but they've been doing some movie cars lately, so they have James Bond's uh, Aston Martin, um, uh, the, the classic silver one that recently you know was in was in Skyfall and whatnot. Uh, they also have two cars from Fast and Furious. They have uh, Dom's Charger, and then they have uh, Brian's Skyline. Uh, so there's, there's been some cool stuff uh, like that that I've just been doing on, on the side, too. So I, I always have like a little like backlog of like three or four Lego sets that I just keep putting off and not building. And then I keep getting new ones because of work. And so I just just constantly building <laughs> Lego sets. <laughs> I love how you're blaming it on work and not the fact that you're addicted to Legos. I mean, it's a it's a it's a little column A, a little column B. <laughs> Have there been any sets recently announced that you're like excited about? I saw the they they re, uh, like announced this Pac Man arcade set. Did you see that? I did see that. That's that's pretty cool. The the, the problem is is like it's uh I mean that's one that I would probably have to buy because I don't think I can justify like requesting it to review for the site because like you know yeah. it's not really movie related. But uh yeah no that that one's definitely a cool one. There's there've been rumblings of uh, some kind of big uh Avengers Stark Tower set coming later this year, but uh it hasn't been officially announced yet. So I'm curious to see what that's going to be like. Okay, we have a lot more to talk about, but we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Okay, we're going to get into what we've been reading. Ben, what have you been reading? Yeah, uh, I read Heat 2 by Michael Mann and Meg Gardner. Um, Chris talked about this on the podcast when the book originally came out. I think it was, it was last year. And Chris actually wrote a review on the site, and we did an interview with Meg Gardner um, that was really great and entertaining. And this book is also great and entertaining. I really enjoyed the hell out of this. Um, it, it's a, I won't go too 
deep into it, you can go back and listen to that uh, that full episode where Chris talks a lot about the the details of it. But it's a, a prequel and a sequel to the 1995 movie at the same time. So there are um, moments where it flashes back, moments where it flashes forward. And uh, because I've seen Heat so many times, because those performances, especially by Al Pacino and Robert De Niro, are so like... Um, indelible and burned into my brain it's so easy to read this book with those characters like appearing in your mind's eye and doing the things that uh that man and gardner described them doing in this book so it's, it's really really um i know that michael mann is talking about making heat 2 into a movie there's been rumors that like um adam driver and uh, uh who uh austin butler and maybe even like anna de armas or something might show up in might be cast in the eventual heat Two movie. But even if they never make the movie, I feel like I've already seen it like the real version in my head because this book is so um, well-written and so um, yeah, like evocative and and th- those characters, like I said, were so indelible the first time around that it just really feels like picking up the baton and, and jumping back in. Um, and the, the prose is really interesting. Chris, I don't know if you um, had this feeling where like, it's the writing is like really staccato there. It's like really short sentences and like really feels punchy and sort of masculine. Um, like ha- have you thought much about heat too, Chris, after you read it that first time? I mean, it, it doesn't like consume my every waking thought, but yeah, I, I, I really, I really dug it. And uh, I'm a little skeptical. It will work as a movie just because the timeline is so weird, but yeah, uh, if they make it a movie, I'll sure as hell watch it. But uh, I, I thought it was, it was great. It was, it was a fun, very quick read too. You can like finish that in like two days, I think. Yeah, yeah. Chris Shaherlis, the the character that Val Kilmer played, is one of the main characters of the book, and a lot of it takes place after the events of the movie. Um, and like recasting that role, uh, actually recasting all of these roles is going to be a little tough. Like for the the post. Uh, heat part of the story just because like I said those characters are you know th- those actors are those characters in my mind they, they did such a great job breathing life into them that's gonna be tough to to um to recapture cinematically with somebody else in those parts but um but yeah if they actually end up making this thing I'll definitely be there uh on on day one as well so that's what I've been reading not to derail Ben's very thoughtful analysis of <laughs> heat too but since I haven't been, you know, tapped into what the goings on have been at Slash Film, I'm very curious as to where the Slash Film team fell in the great De Niro versus Pacino hotness debate. <laughs> it's clearly Pacino. I mean, Robert De Niro was a good-looking dude back in the day, but, he, but Al Pacino as a young man was beautiful. I have, I have the definitive answer. So young Pacino is hotter than young De Niro but older De Niro is hotter than older Pacino. That is the answer. And I still yes, buy it. This is, this is incredibly true. <laughs> I disagree with both of you <laughs> because I was on team De Niro, but I think of the standard definition of hotness De Niro applies, but Pacino was beautiful. That's where the difference is. No one can disagree with me because no one's saying anything. <laughs> no, because you're, you're right. Uh, Al Pacino uh, looked like uh, Al Pacino has the Paul McCartney thing going, uh, which is which. Whereas Rob De Niro looks like a guy who fixes sinks. So that, that's how it all falls for me. Yeah, he's football player hot. De Niro was, and you know, Pacino have... was a twink, a beautiful one. <laughs> I don't know. I think both of them kind of look weird when they were younger. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
That's just me. Peter, okay. that is Italian-American discrimination. How dare you? <laughs> no, but I think that part of the reason why they were cast in the roles that they were cast is they were unique looking. They weren't like sex symbols. No? Yeah, a lot of actors. It all depends on who you ask, really. The number of people who voted in that poll on Twitter, like I think it was 270,000. I feel people would disagree with you, Peter, but it is his own. Okay, Jacob, what have you been reading? Yeah, on uh, Water Cooler earlier this week, I talked about six books I read over the past few months. I realized I forgot one uh, that I also squeezed in, uh, and that is Answers in the Form of a Question by Claire McNear. It was published in, uh, a few years ago. I think it came out literally days before Alex Trebek died. This uh, definitive book about the history of Jeopardy and what it's like to be a Jeopardy contestant and the, the experience of being on the show and how people prepare and how to change their lives. Uh, like literally days later after it came out, Trebek died. And my thought was, well, it's instantly out of date. So I didn't read it. But the new paperback edition uh, updates it. It has a, a new final chapter that talks about the post-Trebek uh, legacy and the battle over the hosting chair. And... Uh, Claire McNear, who wrote the book, also, she was the one who broke the story about the Jeopardy producer who tried to steal the uh, hosting job for himself, so she is able to get, like, all the inside scoop for her own book. Yeah, and if you're a Jeopardy fan, this book is a treasure trove of stories and anecdotes about the game and how it changed, and uh, full of all the information I ever need to know to know that I should never be on Jeopardy ever, because it is, like, somebody who plays along at home when I watch Jeopardy, and I do okay, I, um... I always thought, like, maybe I could really bone up, maybe do a lot of research and a lot of, like, you know, homework and be ready to compete on Jeopardy one day. But the amount, the, the physical stamina and timing it takes to be good at Jeopardy, be able to recall as fast as you can and to click in at the right, buzzing at the right time, the amount of dozens and not hundreds of hours of physical training that, contest, that successful contestants do to be good at Jeopardy from the physical point of view uh, it has turned me off of ever being on Jeopardy for real forever. So I'll keep on playing a couch player for the rest of my life. Thank you, Claire McNear, for letting me know the truth. <laughs> okay. Uh, HT, what have you been reading? Well, speaking of twinks, <laughs> I uh, read for the first time uh, Andre Asiman's Call Me By Your Name. Uh, I was just in a Call Me By Your Name mood recently. I don't know. I've been listening to the soundtrack, and um, I hadn't read the book yet, and I had long been, getting, been intending to get around to it. So I picked it up. It's a very short read. It's only, uh, I think, like – 200, 300 pages. Um, and it's it's a really, really beautiful, really lyrical read. Uh, much more stream of consciousness than I had anticipated it being. It's much more like um, just the thoughts of um, Timothy Chalamet's character in the movie, Elio, um, and his um, like very stream of consciousness uh, reactions and experiences upon uh, meeting uh, what would be this great first love. Um, and it's it's fantastic. I really, really enjoyed reading it. Um, it's, uh, yeah, very lyrical in a way that um, felt like it wouldn't be adaptable to a screen. But I think Luca Guadagnino's film actually does a really good job of capturing that spirit. While there's like a, you know, poetic lyricism to the book, there's a sort of visual lyricism to the movie, um, which I think does really well. And there's a lot of lines ripped straight from the book. Um, I knew already that the that the monologue by Michael Stolberg's character. Um, was basically word for word, but a lot of other lines were just like word for word right in the movie. And I was really happy to see that. So yeah, I I really enjoyed reading it. And um, I would recommend it to anyone who uh, is a fan of the movie or maybe just uh, wants a sweet 
uh, sometimes perverse, sometimes sweet, uh, silly and slight, um, but really just wonderful little summer read. Okay, we're going to move on to what we've been watching, and I'll start things off with... Well, I, I saw Fast X at the theater last week uh, when it came out on Friday. I think we kind of discussed that at length in the spoiler discussion uh, earlier this week. Uh, but I liked it. I thought it was dumb and fun, and I loved that Jason Momoa was just... Uh, <laughs> He knew the assignment that uh, he, he had been hired for. He was just like so over the top. Uh, but uh, I, I did want to mention that I was – guys, I'm very last minute. Like I don't plan things out. I'm very last minute, especially with like booking a ticket to the movie theater. So I, I have AMC A-list. And at the last minute, we decided to go to the movies like uh, probably like within an hour or two of the showtime. So I, I grabbed seats. They weren't even great seats. They were off to the side because, you know, we had to get what we were available. And the two people sitting next to us throughout the entire movie were on their phones, like watching TikToks, uh, going through their Instagram, barely ever like looking up at the screen. They would talk to each other. Um, I, 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 <laughs> I, I'm so against, I, I'm so, uh, bad at conflict or like whatever so like it took me like 30 minutes with us to be like to to even say anything but i, I like looked at them and i was like uh, can you be a little quieter there's a movie going on or whatever it, it was like it's so not even uh me like saying you know being uh a, a very confident uh approach to them but uh, have any of you ever like encountered that where like you have people next to you that literally are on their phones the entire movie? That happened to me recently, and it pissed me off. I was so mad, and it was it was during a movie that I was you know it wasn't you know, I was watching Air, which I actually enjoyed more than I thought I would. But there was this girl next to me who was just on her phone the entire time, you know, like watching TikToks, online shopping, and I was just like, like. I was being really annoying at one point. I was like looking over and be like, uh, just kind of being like very intentional, just staring at her. But uh, I also did not don't like confrontation, so I didn't say anything. But I was pissed off. Is this a more usual thing? <laughs> I think this is just a Gen Z thing, right? That they can't say. Well, why were they even so at the long. theater? HT like. <laughs> at one point, I like looked over at them and like they were sharing. Like there was a. Uh, one of them was showing the other, like the the woman that Jason Momoa is going out with. I think it's like a picture on a red carpet, and he was like, uh, "I don't know." It's just like, what is going on? Anyways, uh, I'm sure that's why more people are watching movies at home or or whatnot. But anyways, um, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention in what we've been watching is that I discovered this new YouTube channel. I watch a lot of YouTube. I discovered this channel out of a recommendation on Twitter, and the channel is called Jetlag the Game. And uh, this is about a group of uh, uh, young guys that go on the... It, Jacob, you would like this. this. This is like a total recommendation for Jacob. Uh, they do series, and it's kind of like... Um, Oh my God! What what is that game that that reality game show where they're running around the world? 
The Amazing Race. Amazing Race, yes. It's like that, but more gamified. More for like, if you're a tabletop gamer, like they have like uh, a, a deck of cards that they pull out like challenges. There's like different powers that they can gain if they like do certain things and earn them. Uh, the latest one I watched was uh, they did this game of tag that was across the entire country. And they it's so much fun. It's hard to explain what it is uh, without actually going and watching it. But I'll actually link in the show notes the 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 first part of the the tag one because I think that's a good intro to it. But I highly recommend it. It's called Jet Lag the Game. Uh, the thumbnails make it look like it's like something for like little kids. Like it's like a Mr. Beast thing, but it's it's totally not that. It's totally um something you could binge watch. And I think they even like have a deal with Nebula uh, to to give you an idea because Nebula is the service that has uh, some really smart people on it, like uh, Patrick Boyle and stuff like that. So it's 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 not like the uh, super dumb for little kids kind of thing. Uh, but jet lag the game. Jacob, what have you been watching? Well, funny you should bring up The Amazing Race because uh, a few months ago I talked about this being the new show that my wife and I were binging during the uh, extreme discomfort and stress of our move. Uh, we were just in a house full of boxes. Our move had been delayed numerous times. We were stressed. We were – nothing was going right. It took, a, it took a long time for us to pull out of that really awful, stressful move. And throughout it all, we watched The Amazing Race on Paramount+, Plus, the reality show – it's been running, uh, you know, for many, many years now, since 2000, 2001-ish. And uh, I'm happy to report we're now in season 34, which is the most recent season that uh, aired uh, late last year. So 34 seasons of television in a few months. Uh, and unfortunately, season 34 is very bad. They're work- they're filming it under severe COVID um, restrictions, which means that they have to be very careful where they go, what kind of um, challenges that they give contestants. It's all outdoors, so they can't go indoors anymore. It's a lot of dumb obstacle courses and nothing to do with the place where they actually are because they're just trying to, you know, keep people in fields instead of, you know, inside tight cities and alleys and shopping areas. Um, so, yeah, it, it, the show's in an extreme rough patch. They're kind of struggling to finish season 34. But you were all here when we started it on this podcast. Uh, like, these be people at home listening to this. And uh, now we're all caught up. So uh, Amazing Race is a really, really good junk food comfort TV if you are – if you're stressed and just need a show where people are running around the world yelling at each other um, and occasionally being very heartwarming and real. So, yeah, uh, don't regret a single second of watching 34 seasons of The Amazing Race. Uh, but more importantly, uh, the season finale of BattleBots uh, premiered today on Discovery+. And I talked about BattleBots on this podcast before. I've written about it on the site. Uh, but it's still the best show that nobody talks about outside the handful of people who watch BattleBots on Discovery+. It is um, the great British baking show of shows where people build robots to fight each other. Although season this season's been very different and interesting because for the first time there was a true villain team, which sounds silly, but in, in past years there, the the show has edited you know certain teams to be like you know the dominant villain type of character everybody's scared of or somebody who like maliciously destroys everybody else's robots uh, and like it seems unstoppable. But if you do even like 10 seconds of research, you learn that those people in real life, they're all friends. They all like each other. They all hang out together. It's a super small, you know, world of combat robotics. Uh, and like the people who are portrayed as villains on the show are in real life helping other teams fix their robots or help them source parts so they can't find them and are being really good people. Uh, unfortunately, this season of BattleBots introduced a new team full of entirely very, very young people who are brand new to the sport and they're the worst, the absolute worst and 
so bad that um, and so insulting to their teammate to, to the fellow competitors, and so uh, there have been numerous accusations of cheating, of foul play. Uh, rather infamously, one battle against them ended with the other team refusing to shake their hand, which never happens to battle bots. Everybody always shakes hands. They always shake hands after every fight, guys. This is really important information. Um, and so the problem is that the robot is extremely good, like devastatingly, scarily good. And it's made this season, which used to be my comfort food watch, into a very stressful experience as they keep on winning. So I'm not going to spoil the, the season finale today. I've watched it. I know who ultimately goes down, uh, who is this year's grand champion. But I will say that um, if you're interested in watching how one team can turn a comfort food watch into uh, a high-stress scenario, uh, the most recent season of BattleBots on Discovery Plus, it'll ruin your life. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Uh, Brad, what have you been watching? So uh, since there's a new iteration of Clone High that is now available on Max, uh, I decided to finally dig into the original Clone High, which I had never watched. Uh, it was it was on at a time when like I didn't really pay much attention to like TV shows. I didn't record anything. We didn't have a DVR because around the time the show was on, it was still too early to have one without paying exorbitant amounts of money for TiVo. And so I never watched uh, Clone High, but I, I've always known that it's from Phil Lord and Chris Miller and Bill Lawrence. Uh, who have done a bunch of things that I love, and the, the concept sounded hilarious and perfectly up their alley. So I, I finally started watching it, and uh, it's just so much absurd fun. I, I didn't realize that it really tapped into the style of uh, like high school teenage drama that MTV shows were known for at the time that it came out, uh, but just done in this absurd animated comedic style. Uh, it has such a great uh, voice cast with it, including Phil Lord and Chris Miller themselves. Uh, Will Forte is, is part of it. There's also just random, very tiny, inex- inexplicably small uh, cameos from people. Like Michael J. Fox has a very small cameo as uh, Gandhi's kidney at one point. Like it's like a quick cutaway. And like I I, I saw in the grass that it was Michael J. Fox. I was like, what? How do you even get Michael J. Fox to do something like that for this show? Uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. I'm, I'm interested to finish it so that I can... Uh, catch up and watch the new version, which I've heard is is great. So Clone High, it's good. Yeah, I loved Clone High. Clone High was like so ahead of its time. It, it's a shame. Yeah, I mean, obviously, sure. it's it's coming back. So I mean, that's good. So, uh, it, what do you think of the new one? Hasn't come out right I, yet, right? I think it just came out uh, when uh, Max launched earlier this week. So I, I think it, I think it should be out there now. Ah, okay. HT, what have you been watching? I watched for the first time Contact, the 1997 movie directed by Robert Zemeckis. Uh, I had never seen it before, and I had been curious about it, just uh, mostly by virtue of that one scene uh, that is pretty famous for, the the mirror shot in which um, Jodie Foster's young self uh, runs to the to get medicine from a cabinet, and, and it turns out that the camera uh, is reflecting through the – or is – shooting through the mirror itself and it's like this fun bit of movie magic wizardry that is uh i've watched a lot of videos on and i was like i should watch this movie that it's based off of and i was actually a little bit surprised by this film because it's it's such an interesting a very ambitious attempt to make this very like philosophical uh more cerebral first contact kind of film but it's made in a way that's still very much feels like it fits the parameters of a 90s blockbuster, if that makes sense, like a 90s uh, major 
you know, release. Uh, so it's, it's, it's like this very interesting dichotomy. It, it's, it's not art house, but it's also not quite a blockbuster because uh, it, 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 it's, it's interesting. Anyways, I don't know if I'm like making sense right now, but uh, I watched it just last night and I was uh, kind of wrapping my head around um, where it, it succeeds and where it fails, but I, I liked it. Um, Jodie Foster's incredible in it. Matthew McConaughey, weirdly cast uh and of course it very much is sort of that turning point of robert zemeckis um having his and his obsession with technology sort of uh taking over his own filmmaking vision which i found also very interesting to see um does anyone have any opinion about contact I love Contact. Contact yeah. is actually my favorite Robert Zemeckis movie, which wow. sure people will Over Back to the Future? Absolutely. I wow. love Contact. Contact is one of like the smartest blockbusters ever made. It's, it deals with really heavy themes of, you know, religion and and science and philosophy and you could not get away with making that movie today on that scale. Like I I hate Forrest Gump, but I'm thankful to Forrest Gump for giving Zemeckis the like that movie was such a that and Back to the Future obviously like gave him so much clout that he could just do whatever he wanted, and he did Contact, which no you could never do that today on this scale. And then Robert Zemeckis slowly uh, lost his mind and made really bad movies, but I'm I'm thankful for Contact. Can I ask everyone a Zemeckis question? Sure. Because uh, we just did our slash on top 100 list, and Back to the Future and Who Framed Roger Rabbit both made the list, so clearly we're Zemeckis fans here when he's actually on his A game. I agree that Contact is probably his third best after those two. Um, but on certain days, I have a very strong admiration for Beowulf, the second of his three, you know, uh, mocap animated movies. But only after I, I properly studied Beowulf and, like, learned how Zemeckis subverted that story and reconceived it in a way that um, is really scholarly and scholarly and interesting and is more of a commentary on Beowulf itself than an adaptation of Beowulf. So that's how I approached and learned to like that movie. So I'm curious, how do, do people feel about Beowulf these days beyond me? I just, I can't get past that animation. I like, I thought we were a same. live action movie with the same script. I think like Neil Gaiman worked on the script. Like it had the same script and even the same cast. If it was just live action, I'd be like, this is good, but I cannot get beyond that animation. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I think I would appreciate it a lot more if it wasn't that that motion capture animation with the lifeless glass eyes. It's just too distracting, and I I just can't get into it. But I'm... isn't at the same time admirable that in the mid 2000s Zemeckis said, "What if adult animation? What if a movie for adults using animation and didn't try to tone it down for kids or add fart jokes? Beowulf is a film for adults using animation, and yeah, it's glass eyed and, it, and it's dated." But I, I have to admire it because it was doing what, what what so many of us are crying out for these days, which is animation as a medium being used to tell different kinds of stories and not just as, you know family films. So I don't know. I feel like Beowulf deserves some kind of second look these days. I, I'm being crazy. We were talking about contact. Why am I breaking this up? I think I would. I think I would agree with that more if there weren't <laughs> a lot better adult animation options on television that were doing that kind of storytelling infinitely better. No love for Castaway here, huh? <laughs> I, I like Castaway. Yeah, I like Castaway. I think that's like his yeah. last good movie, honestly. Like yeah. everything after that is not good. So that's like his last, his last <laughs> enjoyable like film. Marwin or Flight? Oh my god! I saw. I reviewed Welcome to Marwin, and that was like the. 
That was so bad. Like, shockingly bad movie. Anyway, yeah, Contact is good. Yeah, Contact yeah, yeah. is good. I, I hope my assessment of it doesn't make it seem like I disliked it, but I, I, I liked it a lot. And I really liked, um, yeah, how ambitious it was and how much it tried to and did tackle it. Uh, ideas about philosophy and religion and and science and how that all kind of comes together ahead in what Interstellar basically tried to do in its big climactic finale. Yeah, I loved Contact. I I haven't watched it in a few years. I wonder how much or how it plays nowadays. I would I'd like to maybe I should revisit it. Um, it's leaving remember- soon, by the way. So need to watch oh, it. Oh no, watch it soon. Uh, I remember there was this. This awesome shot, I think, early on in the movie, where uh, Jenna Malone plays young uh, Jody, and she's running towards this like the mirror in the bathroom. Yeah, that's that's the shot that HD was talking about in the yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. That that shot is just so like I, I I remember when I got the DVD, I would just watch that shot over and over again, trying to figure out how 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 exactly you do that shot. I actually I had seen Contact a bunch of times by the time that like the clip of that went viral and people were talking about it because I hadn't it's done so seamlessly. I never actually realized that it was a trick shot or anything like that. It's like it's 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 done so well and that you don't don't even notice like what what's happening that I, I never even thought, oh, wow, how did they do this? And then when I saw that, I was like, oh, yeah, that's an incredible shot. Okay, let's move on to what we've been eating. Uh, you know, before Brad talks, I wanted to uh, tell you about something I discovered recently. Uh, I've been trying to drink more water. I've been trying to lose some weight, and uh, you know, not drinking even diet soda is uh, helpful in losing weight. And one thing I discovered is, well, I don't like to drink water because there's no flavor to water. And then once you add flavor to water. You have like vitamin water zero or something like that. Then you basically add the same uh, sweeteners that are in diet soda. So what's the what's you know if you're trying to get rid of diet soda, what's the point of adding it, it, drinking you know those kind of like flavored waters? Uh, you should be just drinking water. Uh, but again, I don't like unflavored water. It just I, I need something full of flavor in it. And I discovered through I think an Instagram ad or something this thing called Air Up which is this bottle that you put water into and uh, you buy these scented pods that go over the where you you the the straw where you suck up the water from and the interesting th- thing here is it doesn't add flavor to the water but it the pods have a smell and while you suck up the water it's it almost like have you ever like sucked up uh, a liquid through a straw and it feels like the straw has a hole in it? So you get like these air bubbles while you're sucking. It's a, it's not a constant stream. It's like oh, yeah. that, but in the air bubbles, it puts the scent. So like I right now I have a berry scent on there. So it puts the scent in the water, and your brain while you're you're drinking this water because your the water in your mouth is going to your nose, it makes you think the water has like a hint of like it's been infused with it doesn't it's not like a strong flavor it's it's more of like maybe like like if you've ever had hint water where it's like infused water that's what it tastes like but it's literally only because it's tricking your brain into you're smelling it inside of the water rather than actually drinking a flavored water this sounds like voodoo magic 
it's weird. It's really <laughs> weird. But I wanted to put it on people's radar. I, I like it. It's air up. Uh, Brad, what have you been eating? I'm just going to mention one thing because uh, I talked about the Sweets and Snacks Expo, Expo yesterday that I went to in Chicago. And so this this is somewhat of a, a movie-related thing. Uh, there's there's that new Wonka movie coming out with old, old Timmy Chalamet uh, as Willy Wonka. And uh, Brock's is likely getting in on the uh, the Willy Wonka crossover opportunity there because they're, they're coming out with a new candy that is Wonka Magic Hat Gummies. And they're basically like a fruit snack texture gummy, but they have this like uh, blue goo inside of it. So it's kind of a little bit like a gusher, but it's shaped like Willy Wonka's uh, top hat. And uh, they're, they're they're pretty good. They're, uh, thankfully, the, the sample that I had, the problem that I have with gushers is that when you get them, sometimes a couple of them have been smushed and it makes the rest of the gushers super sticky. Thankfully, that didn't happen with the sample that I had. It probably will happen with some of the the regular bags because they'll inevitably get smushed in boxes and on shelves. But these were good because the goop hadn't come out of it yet. And so the the flavor of both the fruit snacks and the goo inside was was pretty good. So if you're a a Willy Wonka fan and you like gummies, there's a a good tasty uh, snack themed to Willy Wonka coming out later this year. So look out for those. Who owns the Wonka candy brand? Brock's. Willy Wonka, Peter. <laughs> he has a whole factory, and kids go in there and get killed. Don't, didn't you see the movie? Oh, jeez. I do feel like Wonka as a candy brand used to produce a lot more stuff when I was a child, and nowadays it, I just feel like the same nerds and variations of nerds. Brad, why do you think that is? I mean, they they've been sticking by a lot of their like signature candies that have been around for a while like the i think that with the new movie coming out they're going to start doing some uh newer stuff but yeah i mean it's honestly the the market is just like uh so so saturated but i think like a lot of people don't even realize too like what other like candies are actually wonka candies like sweet tarts and laffy taffy like those are all wonka candies um so and they're they're all um uh, actually no it's not I, i just i just realized it's uh I don't think it is Brock. It might be Nestle that owns Wonka. I don't know. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it's yeah. There's there's plenty of Wonka stuff out there, and there's, there'll be there'll be some new stuff coming along too. Okay, we have reached the end of today's Slash Home Daily. Uh, Jacob, did you want to p- plug the top 100 movies of all time? I know we mentioned it earlier. Well, I know that people who listen to this podcast every day uh, heard the making of that list. They heard two episodes of. Uh, me, Ben, Brad, and BJ uh, butting heads over what made the top 100. Uh, but yeah, if you haven't seen it yet, it went live on Monday. And uh, uh, many writers and editors contributed to it. I'm extremely proud of that list. I'm extremely proud of how it reflects what I think is, you know, Slash Film's tastes. Uh, you know, are there blind spots on it? Absolutely. Are there parts of it that frustrate me that couldn't get certain names on there? Yes. Do I think there's too many Spielbergs on it? Yes, I do still, Brad. Um, well, you're wrong. You're wrong and everybody else agrees. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think it's uh, uh, and uh, even if you don't, even if you don't think, agree with us, that's the top 100 movies of all time. I don't even agree with that top 100 movies of all time, but I do agree that it's a list of 100 movies that are all really great. So uh, the written version is uh, on this. Literally, go to uh, slashfilm.com slash best dash movies dash ever, and uh, you will find it. And uh, to tie tie the conversation around too, uh, back to Peter, since this is uh, his final podcast and he's leaving Slash Film, there were many times during this podcast that your name was mentioned because like we were like, we can't have a Slash Film list without this movie. Otherwise, Peter will t- t- <laughs> turn over in his grave when he dies. <laughs> well, that's so kind. Um, 
I'm going to miss you guys. And by you guys, I mean, you know, everybody on this podcast, but I also missing, I mean, everybody that is listening out there, everybody that's read the site over the years. And obviously I'm, I'm now going to be a reader of the site. I I mean, I have been a reader of the site, Um, but uh, (laughs) not be in the factory behind the scenes, seeing how, how, how the, uh, the nerds are made. I'm going to be, you know, reading on the site like everybody else. Uh, but I, I'm going to miss every everybody. If you want to follow, follow my future adventures, you know, obviously, I'm not going to I'm not going and creating another movie site or anything like that. Uh, you can find me at slash home on or sorry at Peter Serretta on all social media. Uh, you can follow my YouTube channel Ordinary Adventures on YouTube. Uh, but that's how you could uh, if you, if you want to stay up to date with me and my ramblings and I'm still going to be, you know, tweeting about movies and theme parks and food and all sorts of stuff. So that's where you can find me. And hopefully we can figure out a way to, uh, to get you back to, um, when we are recapping Marvel and star Wars shows and stuff like that. Cause I feel like it wouldn't, wouldn't be the same. Maybe you can just go on and be a special guest. Hmm. We'll see. Brad. We'll see. <laughs> Peter's like, nope, Peter's I'm out. Like, I'm not watching any more shows. <laughs> hey, if you guys want me, I'll come back. But we'll, we'll we'll see. Anyways, you can find more of all of our work at slash from the com. Well, actually, that's not true. You can find HT. HT, where can we find you? You can find me at inverse.com. So <laughs> no longer slash film.com either. Yeah. But technically yeah. you can still find HT's work at slash film.com. Yes, just work yeah. from last year and and previously. It'll live on forever. Um yeah, so you can subscribe to this podcast in Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please send us your feedback, questions, comments, concerns to us at Ben, what, oh, yeah. what is the email that we're going to be using here? Because it's probably not going to be Peter at slashfilm.com anymore. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you can just send it to me, um, bpearson at slashfilm.com. At bpearson at slashfilm.com. And please head on over to our Apple podcast page. Write us, a, a, give us a rating, write us a review, tell your friends, spread the word, and we'll see you on Monday. We'll always have Penn and Teller fool us, Peter. (laughs) I knew I wasn't going to get through this episode without you bringing that up. One of the the greatest moments ever. (laughs) Yes. We're not not getting the book again, are we? Oh, no. I I, I both busted out early when you were saying nice things. It's not an opportunity. But yeah, um, people still mention the Penn and Teller debate to me at film festivals. Say, hey, Jacob, (laughs) please go to the site. Uh, Penn and Teller fool us. Am I right? <laughs> Penn and Teller fool us. Am I right? What a that's way to my, go. That's out. my legacy. <laughs>